This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 111 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Omega Fields, the world's best omega-3 supplements for horses. Horsemanship Radio is part of the family of the Horse Radio Network, and we have two today, two up-and-coming stars of the horse world. One promotes thoroughbred aftercare, and the other, nonviolent horse training, from first saddle to the highest levels in any discipline. This is Debbie Lauks, and you're listening to the Horsemanship Radio. Thanks for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 1st and the 15th of the month, and I have my producer, Coach Jen, with me today. Hi, Jen. Greetings, Debbie. How are you? Good, good. I'm glad to have you today because we get to talk about horses and food. Oh, man. Aren't they like favorites? They're right? favorites. And, and inside secret here, people, mm. we record Horsemanship Radio, my time, at about 3 in the afternoon. And everybody knows three in the afternoon is when your blood sugar drops and you need munchies. Yeah. Or coffee. Or (laughs) coffee. So I've, I've made myself the coffee. I'm set there. Okay. (laughs) But we're going to talk about not just food, but incredibly luscious, delicious, fantastic food surrounded by talking about horses and horse industry. Are we not? We are. We are. And we're talking about the movement 2018. This was a brainstorm we had last September. And I must say it's, it's, it's taken a village. It it is. I owe so many thank yous to the people who have brainstormed on this idea. But I think personally, it is one of the coolest things we've ever done. And I'll tell you why. Because if you could, if you could think of like how you go through your day and you think about how horses affect, oh, that is, that's just, I wish people knew what it is about the horses that do that. Or I wish people could communicate like the horses do like that, you know, and you go through these things, being a horse person, you just think you have like this little inside secret to peace and stress less life. Right. And we pulled together and they're all coming of their own volition and they all have their stories to tell the most incredible people. I'm going to go through this list in a little bit, but I just wanted to tell you, Jen, that There is no way I could alone pull this list of people together from all these different walks of life without them all loving horses and all loving the farm and loving what we do. It's just the greatest um, endorsement of what we do with horses that I can. And I think Horsemanship Radio is going to be delivering so much of the insight that we're going to get from these people. So May 23 and 24, we're doing the movement at the farm and we're going to film everything. So I'm going to get it back out to everybody too. So it's, this is not just a big tease. This is like a, a drum roll for what <laughs> we're going to be able to see. I need to dig out my sound effects there. <laughs> yeah, right. And then it's going to be great. It, it is just great. So I thought, Jen, I don't know if you've been able to see the website. So we put up an event website for this called themovement2018.com, themovement2018.com. And and people can go on there and see what the agenda is and everything. But I thought, well, okay, I'm going to force feed you this. So okay, I'm ready. Ready to hear the list? Okay, all right. So I'm going to start with Christy Schulte-Kappert. Kappert, she is with the Right Horse Initiative. But a lot of people will know her as Christy Schulte, who did the Time to Ride uh, project. Yes, yes. And got and that, that's been huge, yeah. 
Right? Yeah, she did so well that the right horse decided to hire her very intelligently. And she is going to be talking on the subject of the right horse initiative is helping more horses find homes. So that's a cool thing. Then we've got Dr. William Miller. He's an author and a professor, and he's a motivational interviewing uh, founder. And he's doing a talk on lead by yielding. Does that sound horsey? He's not even horsey. He's a professor. <laughs> um, but he understands that. And Dr. Terry Moyers, agility dog trainer. And this subject, dogs and horses learn faster with positive training. Isn't that good? Oh, cool. She's incredible. She's really cool. Then we've got Janet Rose. Um, she's one of really one of my biggest inspirers of getting this done. And she's one of the first people who said, I'll be there. If you do this, I'll be there. And she's the founder of the Equus International Film Festival. And she is doing not only a presentation about horses in media, but also at the awards center, she'll be screening one of her film festival movies, which is oh, neat. All, all like really emotional and cool. And she's also a director at Save the Chimps. So she's going to talk a little bit about that too. There is a different world. Then there's Dr. Michael Yellowbird and he is, he's in South Dakota. He works with the um, Native Americans, indigenous peoples in mindfulness and their veteran outreach. So his topic is going to be mindfulness approaches and practices to communities. Um, he's an intriguing guy. You'll love him. And Chris Robbins, uh, uh, Chris Robbins woman is, um, she has come down. I don't even, I can't even count how many times she's come from Canada, uh, to help with us to develop our horse sense and healing manual and program. And she's doing a talk on the horse as healer. Um, she's been 30 plus years, a licensed clinical therapist in Canada, working with horses and people or using horses for people. And she says her outright statement is horses are better therapists than people. <laughs> Well, yeah. Any of us who have a horse can probably speak to that. Sure. You know, you get yeah. it if you have horses. Exactly right. Yeah. And then we have Dr. Michael Norwood. He's the author of a of a book series called The Wealthy Soul. And his topic is From Humans to Horses, uh, Using Joint-Up Procedures to Resolve Conflict. Ooh, is, that sounds meaty. Oh, mm. yeah. Really yeah. good. Just a really, oh, his, his language is really simple and to the point. And you just go like, ah. Why didn't I think of that? And then we've got Dan Kinahone. He, he is an Air Force veteran. He he comes over and he does all the f photographs for our Horse Sense and Healing program. And he is going to put be putting up a display of all these award-winning, emotive, beautiful photographs that he does, uh, uh, photographs of examples of human and equine interaction. Very cool. And Eduardo Moreira is coming all the way from Brazil, and he's bringing his wife. He's a Brazilian banker, best-selling author, inspirational speaker, trainer, and he's doing a talk on finding your path by following those who are living your dream. Mm. And isn't that nice? And Juliana Baroni is his wife, and she's an actress and singer on the TV and stage. She's adorable. So they're coming together. And then, we, of course, we have certified Bonnie Roberts instructors coming to conference there and then to help dad and, and all this. So I have my mom and my dad, Monty Roberts and Pat Roberts, also um, de demonstrating and speaking um, as founders of Concepts. And uh, we're, we're describing the whole thing as demonstrations, discoveries, and pathways. So, um, you know, a movement can only start when you have a vision of a different world, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And if you have a vision of a different world, there's only one way to really pull that off, and that is to inspire but if all we did was sit there and inspire people and then on, you know, the next day they go home and go, what do I do? Then we really haven't created anything at all. So when people 
know how to act on that inspiration, that's when it becomes a movement. And yeah. that's what we plan to do. Yeah. That's our goal. So I, I hopped on to themovement2018.com. It says right here at the top, 26 days, 8 hours, 30 minutes, and 10 seconds left. <laughs> um, and on the mission page yeah. is two-day symposium and awards dinner. Ooh, awards and dinner. And we're going to yeah. get to the food in a minute, like we said. Yeah. In Solvang, California, we'll be in the arena and in the classroom where presenters and trainers that we've just named will share their unique perspectives of the flight animal and how their vocations were changed when they were able to use horses as a metaphor for better understanding of their work and relationships. That, to me, really makes it so clear what you guys are up to at, at the movement. Like you said, there's there's inspiration, but there are, um, what's the word I want to use? Um, there are takeaways and there are action points to be taken with you. Am I right? That is it. We are nothing. You know, I don't want two days of inspiration. I want two days of creating a movement. And that's why it's called the movement because we feel like each one of these people in their own vocations, their own worlds have created movement away from violence in the training of horses or people. They've created movement to do the right thing, like in the case of transitioning horses, uh, writing books and, you know, getting people to think uh, differently mm -hmm. and making a better future. Absolutely. So each presenter has been tasked with the, the challenge to say, what can what comes out of your presentation that they can take home and act? Where can they make little changes that can make great changes down the road? So cool. And part yeah. of this part of this big weekend, surprises at the awards dinner on Wednesday night, is dinner. So now exactly. Let's talk food. So the, yeah, the awards <laughs> dinner is really cool. I mean, I kind of say that as a special thing because there are going to be, there's going to be surprise people, surprise. And then also, um, we're going to give some special achievement awards to some people who deserve it. So there's going to be that too. But oh my gosh, we we got this local caterer who does these farm to table dinners. We wanted a, sort of a farm theme since we're out on the ranch. In California, and hello. You know, it's California. We're going to the whole farm to table thing. Yeah. The Vista is just going to be beautiful. It's the end of May. So it's May 23. It's a Wednesday and a Thursday, by the way. So Wednesday night is the dinner right in between the two days. And um, yeah, and this farm to table guy went, he does these like really off the chart stuff. Well, he gave us this like nonprofit rate and listen to this menu. It's like wild arugula shaved sweet fennel red onion orange and toasted pepita salad with ipa vinaigrette you know that's like the beer and and then pit smoked malt brine chicken i guess he does this like it takes days to make these a barbecue beef sirloin cap cilantro sun-dried tomato pebre i don't even i have to look up what pebre is well, i know what beef sirloin is okay so <laughs> i'm i'm on board <laughs> He, he does it, you know, he's like famous for his brisket and like all these slow smoked. Oh, mm -hmm. it's really good. Roast. And for those who do not eat meat, roasted vegetable lasagna, fresh ricotta and pomodoro sauce. Mm. And then Finley Farms Organic. That's a local farm that does all these organic vegetables that are just beautiful um, vegetables with a Romanesca sauce. And then garlic fried organic potatoes. Got to have potatoes and fresh herbs. But the dessert. Okay, so like he gave us this price and I went, uh oh, mom, you better try this because it sounds really good on paper, but I really want you to taste yeah. it first. So, <laughs> so he came with his crew and he did this whole thing right in mom's kitchen. And she's not a big sweet eater, right? So she said, oh, Debbie, I ate 
one of everything. I'm not eating for two days. It was so good. And then she said, but the dessert. And I went, but the dessert, there's dessert too. And she said, yeah, double rum, yum cakes, berry compote, vanilla cream. And I went, could you eat it? Are we too full? And she said, I ate every last bite. It was so good. So if it's my mom approved, it's it's all good. But this, yeah, and this looks like the results mind. of an episode of Iron Chef. Oh yes, I think they they had to try out for it. You know, <laughs> we weren't going to get anybody. But honestly, we couldn't have afforded the other people that were amazing too. But this guy was amazing and and understood our vision. So he's uh it, yeah it's uh. Look on the website for his contacts because he deserves a big thank you for this. So my next question, the movement, it's being held at Flag is Up Farm. And Flag is Up Farm is where in California? In Solvang, California. So it's right between Buellton and Solvang. And it's 901 East Highway 246. And when somebody wants to come to Solvang... Um, how, yes. what airport would they normally fly into? That's a good question, Jen. Thank you for that. Uh, well, if you're coming a long distance and we do have people coming from all over the world too, which I knew, but I really want them to come from the community. But if you're coming by air, go into LAX or you could go into San Francisco and then fly into the Santa Barbara airport. Or I find it easier just to get a car because, you know, hoppers are sometimes too long. There is a Santa Barbara airport and there is a Santa Maria. Those are both smaller regional airports. So we if you're coming to LAX when we came in, did you? Yeah. Out fine. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of traffic that way, but you know, there's a lot of traffic from San Francisco is even further. So yeah. I think LAX would be my choice too, but I would li- literally hop in a car and drive it. Cause it's only a couple hours mm-hmm. from there. And it's a beautiful um, drive. Just it. Fantastic and beautiful. What I would recommend, this is my personal input. Debbie had nothing to do with this. <laughs> Fly in, and if you get to LAX during regular business hours, the you know, uh, not some, yeah. just either do some tourism things or get yourself a hotel room and, and sleep off your jet lag. And That's then drive point. to Solvang at sunrise. Yeah, that's right. Or before. Or before. Just, but but do that drive on the really bizarre hours when the traffic isn't going to be bad. But Good maybe it. when you have a little bit of light because it is a stunning view and then you won't be frustrated. Yeah, that's yeah. so true. And it's much prettier that way, too. Yeah. You're not looking at, at taillights. You're looking at, yeah. at the at surrounds, the which is now, very pretty. everybody's <laughs> flown in or driven in. When mm-hmm. one gets to Solvang, are accommodations best found up there or are they better found closer to some large city? I think you can find, I mean, if they get on it right now, uh, this is, we're talking uh, the end of April, 1st of May, when we're, when we're recording this, I think they can, they can do it. This is coming out May 1, right? Yep. So, um, yeah, I think you can get her done. But, you know, I suggest do an Airbnb or something. Oh, Hang out in the valley. Idea. Yeah, yeah. Hang out in the valley. It's really a cool place. It's the San Inez Valley. If you're if you're looking geographically, a lot of people go, oh, let's go to Santa Barbara and do wine tasting. Guess what? When you get to Santa Barbara, there are no wines. There are. They say go over the hill to the San Inez Valley. That's where all the wineries are. So um, you're going to come here anyway if you're wine tasting, and you're going to co- go there if you're into horses at all. You know, Santa Barbara is beautiful. It's right up against the ocean, and it's very expensive, and it's you know, more crowded. If you're really a horse person and want to get out in the country a bit, you go around and about 35 minutes later, you're in the Santa Inez Valley. Okay, so more you're go to Santa Inez. Solvang, mm-hmm. again, adorable town that you must tour. Yeah. So when folks want to come to Flag is Up Farms for the movement 2018 on the 23rd and 24th of May, 
They might want to tack on a little bit of vacationing yeah. either before or after. Yeah. Um, do you have any suggestions on mm. a place to go to find fun, interesting, fascinating things to do that might involve horses? There are there are several around there. First of all, if you're just like a tourist for horses, there's like 22 different disciplines in the San Inez Valley alone. So let's say you're you're just an, an appreciator of the Arabian horse or the Lipizzaner horse or the thoroughbred racing horse or the quarter horse reigning horse. All of those, there's champions housed in each one of those disciplines. I just thought of through the, my head right then. I can picture faces and farms right there. Mm -hmm. So if you're kind of a tourist that way, which I am, I'd love you know, and, and these people are open. You you can just call them up and say, just I would Google around. Then there's adorable things like uh, Quicksilver Farms uh, where you can go and see all the minis. And ah! they really are set up for tourists. It's so cute. They're like little little shrunk horses all over the place and um, having babies this time of year, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, there's, yeah, there's beautiful horsey places to go. They have dude ranches there. There's Circle Bar B. There's the Alisal Guest Ranch, which is just iconic, you know, these old are, Hollywood. Those are all great options for oh, folks who want to have a little bit of a family vacation. It's perfect because sure. we're, we're in the middle of the week for a reason. We're Wednesday, Thursday, so that we are keeping people freed up for their weekends. Just oh, this to sounds do like just a fabulous like opportunity to take a vacation yeah. to California. Yeah, it do really it. Does. Do it. Or if you're in California, just hop in the car. This is really, oh, it's a $40 ticket, by the way, for the two days. Really? Yeah. It dinner costs you more than that. Exactly. Dang. But, the, but, the, but the dinner is $100. I don't want to whoop, mislead here. The <laughs> awards dinner is $100. That's a separate ticket because we got to pay for the food. But the two-day uh, symposium and festival is $40. We we did that because we really wanted no barriers to entry there on this. There certainly aren't. My goodness. Yeah. Yeah. So isn't that That's fun? Fabulous. All that, all that with all those fascinating people. For forty bucks, and you get, and it's not just classroom stuff. You get to go to the arena and watch demonstrations, and you get, oh, this is great, forty dollars. Okay, people, twenty third and twenty fourth of May. Hop online. You can either go to moneyroberts.com. I'm sure there's going to be a link there, or you can go direct to themovement2018.com. It has the information. It has a little button right there to purchase tickets. Forty bucks, dang. Um, get yourself an Airbnb. Add a day on before or after or a couple days and make a weekend of it. Perfect. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Good. Okay. So I got that all in there because I'm so excited about it. And guess what I'll be doing for the next few weeks? <laughs> 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 a lot of organizing, but you know, it's just a labor of love. I, I, I'm so excited to meet all you people. And if, if we have listeners, Horse and Ship Radio listeners, please come up to me because I do have a little something I'd like to give you. So please identify yourselves. Ooh, we do have these fun little greet. animal pins. Horse Radio things. Network listeners, meet and greet. You get to say hi to Debbie. Absolutely. Get, take a selfie, post it on the HRN Auditor's Facebook page. Yes. Or we're doing on Monty Roberts' Facebook page there too. Please do. Please do. All right. On to our interviews. We have two really cool ladies. As I said earlier, we've got a lady who is an instructor internationally all over the place. I've known her for years. She's incredible. She's been on this show before. And then we have a new uh, guest, Natalie Wrightkirk from Karma. And you're going to love what her organization does. And she's young and dynamo. There we go. Well, we're going to get right to Denise after this from Omega Fields. Your horse is your partner in sport, in leisure, and just in life. To keep him at his peak performance and optimal health, a solid nutritional foundation is key. 
Ideally, horses are able to graze fresh, growing grasses, which most closely mimic their natural diet. But that may not always be possible, and we may need to supply some of those missing ingredients in today's diets and provide more functional foods. One component of a horse's diet that is often underfed are omega-3 fatty acids. While more prevalent in fresh forages, harvested forages are lower in omega-3 fatty acids due to their more advanced maturity. Obviously, grasses and legumes have to grow to a sufficient height in order to be harvested, while foraging patterns of horses show great preference for shorter, less mature plants. That's why modern horsemen and horsewomen trust Omega Horse Shine to provide a powerful, bountiful source of omega-3 fatty acids for their equine partners. Look for Omega Horse Shine from Omega Fields at your local tack and feed supplier, or you can find them online at omegafields.com. Denise Heinlein from Germany has loved horses since she was five years old. She's traveled the world training horses and is settled now in California as a specialist in teaching students to gentle horses and to help horses overcome phobias and remedial issues. After teaching classes and courses in Germany and gaining a lot of experience in the thoroughbred industry, she now teaches at the Monty Roberts International Learning Center in California at the advanced level when she's not touring and training internationally. Well, welcome, Denise Heinlein. Glad to have you back. Yes, it's amazing to be back. It's like, actually, I've never been gone. It feels like Yeah, that's, that's right. It's as if you've be never been gone. Home forever. Yeah, so glad. Yes, you went home and you've got your sister married off and she's got a baby now. And we're so glad to have you back and leading our charge there as head instructor at the Monty Roberts International Learning Center. We've introduced you um, and everybody by name, but I understand you have a room full of interns there that are chomping at the bit to become instructors. Who do you have? I have Mimi here. She is uh, coming from Uruguay to us. She is also German, but um, uh, she is moved to Uruguay because the weather there is maybe nicer. Than sometimes <laughs> the oh, you were talking to her about that, weren't you? <laughs> yeah, I, know, I told her. And uh, then I have Valeria. She is uh, from Switzerland and now is in Canada. And um, Marlin from Sweden. Mm-hmm. Yes, and the only one still living in very, very cold. Right, Marlin? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> She made the right choice to come at the right time to California. Exactly. But I have to say, we are here bundled up quite a bit too. We have like beanies and um, jackets on. So it's not as uh, beautiful and warm as we are used to. Yes. And the rest of the world is mad at you for saying that because <laughs> the whole United States is in an ice chill right now, I think. But yes, you're right. Even us, we had to put coats on this last week. I saw a cute photo with you and Shy Boy and some of the interns with lots of coats and jackets and boots on. But you've been keeping warm, I understand, because you've been putting on quite a few courses. And I wanted you to tell us a little bit about this last advanced exams and some of the things that the interns do while helping you there and and getting through exam time. Yeah, exactly. So we've just been coming through like our two weeks of advanced exam, which is the last step uh, in our school program which is uh, based in uh, like the introductory course and introductory exam, advanced course, and then uh, finally the advanced exam. So Mimi and Valerie, I think they are the best ones who can tell you how uh, like this felt for them. And I just remember very clearly how I was like excited and nervous and 
all of those uh, emotions you have to go through in these two weeks when you want something so badly to like be that you show how good you can do it and uh, it means like a lot <clears throat> to us to pass the advanced exam so I think I mean I'm always as nervous as all of my <laughs> students as you know because I want them to uh, pass and succeed as well yeah and uh, but therefore I'm just handing it over right away to uh, Mimi and let her tell you how she thought like the last two weeks of the advanced exam went well <clears throat> I um I would say it's really nerve. I was really nervous all the time because it's just so much pressure. You want to do your best all the time, and um, I had hear all those um, stories of uh, other um, instructors and interns that it was so difficult. And I was like, oh my god, I'm never going to do this. Like, <laughs> and but then when we're here, we had so much um, guidance to to do everything, and then at the end, it wasn't too bad. I actually had a lot of fun in the round pen then. And it was nice also working with the gentlers, with your team partners. So then at that point, you kind of forget about everything around. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was really nice. A really nice yeah. experience. Good. Yeah, the horses were just adorable. Tell us a little bit about why you decided to really double down and, and get through the exams and not just take what you learned from the advanced course and, and just use it in training horses. Why did you want to become an instructor? Because I want to... Um, also teach to, um, to a lot of people um, this method because I think they're wonderful. And um, I see in in South America so many problems with the horses and there's not not enough instructors down there. And I think that's really um, a thing we have to do just to get out more the word of this um, of this method because they, they're so good for horses and for people too. That's nice. We do we do need a little bit more in South America. I, I agree with you. You really have an uphill battle. Remind us how old you are. I'm 18 now. Yeah, 18 in South America. Uh, people, this is radio, so they can't tell that you're a tall blonde, and you don't <laughs> you don't necessarily look the part. You've got a braid down your back that's as long as Lady Godiva's, and <laughs> and I, and I love that. A Rapunzel. Which is which? Do you use? <laughs> Sorry. You used Rapunzel or Lady Godiva, I think, when we were there. What yeah, was it? Um, Rapunzel. Rapunzel, there you go. <laughs> and so you don't fit the part of the typical uh, vaquero or South American horsebreaker. So how do you think they're going to um, respect you in taking the courses down there? I know you're convicted, but um, what do you think is going to be your plan to get them to listen? Well, I think it's really important to start with young people because at my age, I think it's a lot easier to... To talk to them than with someone as older because that is really difficult because they also tell you yeah I had so much more experience than you so it doesn't really and there's no way you can change their ways um, quickly in anything so yeah. um, I think if you start with young people then you can kind of change tradition a bit then yeah mm -hmm. like a new generation but then right. uh, be um, diff different horse people and also, you have to see with whom you speak because there are people that are open, but then also a lot of them, they don't want to change. So if you concentrate on those that want to change, then I think if there are a lot of people changing, then it's like a chain reaction that kind of more people are going to be open for a new. Very good. I agree with you, and I, I think you're on the right track, and you've got the, the energy and the ability to do it. Tell us a little bit about the horse that you worked with. Who was your project horse? Uh, 
well, in the exams, I had uh, Dilupin. She's a um, young filly, and she was actually really great. With the <laughs> um, first saddle on, she was really nice. She took everything really nicely, and in the, um, she was really good with long lining. She was really into pressure, and but that also comes because she used to be a wild horse like two weeks ago. Yeah. So, <laughs> but um, they, I think all of our horses were really wonderful and yeah, they really helped us a lot through the course because they were so cute and <laughs> so it kind of um, helped us to keep calm. And yeah. Yeah. You did a great job, Mimi. Thanks so, so much for contributing. Thanks for getting through it. So glad you passed. So was Denise and, uh, and Valerie, tell us a little bit about yourself. You're from Vancouver now. Am I right? Yes, so I used to live in Switzerland, and I moved to Canada with my family a good year ago, and we opened a guest ranch there, and I'm pretty much living my dream and continuing my dream right now, right here. So I passed my advanced exams um, together with Mimi yet, uh, last week, and I pretty much agree with everything she said just a moment ago. It was very exciting and also stressful, but most importantly, fun too at the same time because you you work with the horses and it's all of our passions. So it's amazing to see the progress. And it wasn't just Denise coaching us through the course. It was also the horses because they teach you so much. And it was an intense, couple of weeks but amazing and I'm super excited to able be able to stay for this internship now. Mm, that's right. You just stayed on after I got to see your presentation, which was really interesting. What do you think was the main point of your presentation about the um the ranch that you have where you take on trail riders? Yeah, so the main thing is that that I wanna show other people that this method is the best way to earn the horse's trust and to be able to work together with them in a team. And um, there is a lot of guest ranches out there that don't have the knowledge of how to handle horses. So we have people come from everywhere all around the world. So we want to show them how the right way is to work with the horses and also spread the method that way. So it's pretty amazing to be able to use all of these methods with the trail horses and the guests that we get. Mm -hmm. Yes, I'm so glad. We need to get more guest ranches doing that. So maybe you have to branch out and network train. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I couldn't think of a better thing to send them back to the school and learn from Denise Heinlein and, and uh, your interns too. So we've got Malin from, uh, so Senna has now gone back to Sweden? Is she's no, gone she's now? Still there, but she got like um, what is all around here this restoration. Uh, oh, and, like, she got the flu. So fortunately, yeah. is um, sick uh, in her bed at home. Okay, well, you have two. We were calling you the Swedish girls, you, Senna, and Melon. And Melon, so you're there for your internship. When did you pass your advanced exams? Uh, it was 2015. 2015, and, and uh, so you after that, there? I had. Uh, uh, one child, uh, 2016, and mm. now I'm back for my internship. Great, that was pretty quick. I'm glad you're back. And so, what what have you? What's been some of the more remarkable things about your internship so far? Uh, I like Denise. <laughs> <laughs> ah, <laughs> good idea. 
very good teacher. Yes. And uh, it's a really good experience for me to work with these uh, untouched horses because we don't have them in Sweden. Right. Right. You, do, you have mostly horses born in captivity and therefore pretty much domesticated from the start. You don't have these horses that spent time out on a desert somewhere and never seeing much of a human or if they did see a human, it wasn't a super positive experience, right? We don't have it at all in Sweden. Yeah. So what, it, what, what do you think is the most important thing that those wild horses taught you? Timing and this thing about uh, your body position. It's really, really good practice. Mm. Because you're, I always work with the domestic horses and it's not the same at all. So it's mm. really, really good. And uh, you learn about uh, your breathing and uh, yeah, so on. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And Denise, you've even had, you had a lead up program and you had a horse sense and healing program while some of the gals were there too. Can you talk a little bit about what you do there at the school? Yeah, like um, basically our our methods are staying the same. So it's always uh, the nonviolence, it's um, building trust and it's about um, schooling your uh, um, awareness and like the communication um, abilities uh, so that you're getting better in communicating with each other. Is it a horse or a human really doesn't matter so much. It's like staying the same. So mm -hmm. in the horse sense and healing program, we are working with veterans here in the school and we are allowing them to spend time with uh, the horses and like with the joiner principles to gain back uh, some trust, which they lost in some uh, situations they had to go through. And um, the same basically is for the youth, for children who ha had maybe some troubles in uh, uh, different um, aspects of their life. And so they they kind of lose a little bit the, the fact of being uh, tr like in a team, trusting, uh, communicating, mm -hmm. making sure the other person understands what uh, they try to say. So it's just about... Uh, like this being together in a, in a very nice and uh, tranquil, I don't know if this is the right word to say, yes, but uh, in, a, so. in, in a nice surrounding so everybody can relax and trust and have fun. Yes, so these exactly. These um, courses are very valuable. So we saw the children, they had like the best time. So good. Yeah, they and they come in a little bit closed, a little bit unsure, certainly untrusting as they should be. Kind of like our horses who are neophobic that, you know, they we have to earn their trust before we dive right in. So Melon, how has that been to work in different programs besides the courses that you took there? Oh, it was amazing. It was really good for me to work with the children and I actually work with the, those kind of children at home in Sweden too. Is that right? Time. I have my own business with horses, and then I work with the children who had the special needs. They could have like autism or uh, a social, yeah. how do you say? Um, Anxieties. Social. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, horses really are so good. Yeah, good. I'm so glad that you were a part of that, too. Thank you for helping with that. It was wonderful to have you all as interns and and uh, our assistants out there as part of those programs too. So Denise, what do you have coming up that people, if people are interested in taking courses, I'd love to hear a little bit about what you've got going on in 2018. 
Well, I'm having an advanced course now in March, uh, which is like going to be a fantastic again, because the advanced course, which is here in the school, it only happens in uh, at Flagstaff Farms because we have the perfect surrounding to like teach people how to deal with untouched horses. So we will have um, gentlers again, which we call our untouched horses when they come in. So I will be able to teach my advanced students how to deal with uh, like an untouched horse and how to get the first touches and how they we can teach them to be led and pick up the feet and make them into a like a normal domesticated horse. Mm-hmm. And then we have young horses. We teach them how to get the saddle on and long lining and prepare them for their uh, rest of their life uh, to be a riding horse mm-hmm. in uh, uh, Monty's concepts. And then we go on into an uh, introductory course, which would be the first part of le- the in- education. So if you take the two weeks of introductory course, everybody who would be interested in our nonviolent uh, way how to communicate with horses, they could come and do the two weeks of introductory course. And there we teach all the basics, like how to use your body language, how to be aware of what you're talking to the horse, um, basically in in your body language, I mean. Mm-hmm. Then how they learn, then how to place the saddle, how to deal with two lines attached to the horse so you'll be able to long line the horses, desensitization, so everything uh, which is like important to know about horses we teach in the introductory course. And then we have in May the join-up and long-lining course coming up. So this is uh, like a little bit of a short version of the join-up course. So if somebody just wants to have a teaser, then the join-up and long-lining would be probably the best option. And Mm -hmm. then in May we have something very um, special this time, we have like um, the movement uh, coming up where two days you can spend here at the farm, as I understood right, right, Debbie? Mm-hmm. Two days. Yeah. And yeah. Um, there will be all different kind of equine uh, industry people <laughs> talking to uh, uh, Monty and the instructors um, like about what's going on in the equine world at the moment. And so it's just a nice uh, mingle of people um, presenting yeah. their different ideas and like what's happening in the world at the uh, with the horses at the moment. Yeah, that'll be really fun. So when when people are thinking about taking a course like this, what is the reason that you do so much groundwork? Do you think that is a, a precursor to riding? Why not just jumping on the horse and riding? Uh, well, because it teaches you so much about your yourself. So first of all, you you get uh, to the point where you are aware of what you're doing actually, and all those learning techniques. And and then uh, once you got that, I mean, there are people who get it really fast because they're dealing with their uh, with horses their whole life, but a few points are still different. And then you can all transfer it uh, to the to the saddle. So there is. You know, it's like up to uh, to the students then uh, to uh, bring those concepts uh, into the saddle because a horse is the same on the ground or if mm-hmm. you're sitting on top of them. They have the same learning um, uh, patterns. They have the same uh, things, how they would react to the environment. But we have to focus on uh, because if we would also teach um, riding, I think I would not uh, be able to sleep anymore, you know. We have to like make a focus 
on uh, on the groundwork first so that everybody gets a good connection and like the trust and the understanding for the horse and then the riding is uh, no problem Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can go off and do your own discipline, whatever that is. But understanding the horse, I'm learning this now, too, from some young trainers like Tick Maynard and some of these people who have been in some extreme. Boyd Martin now is starting to talk about the groundwork. And um, so many people, Charlotte Dujardin is actually talking about, and and Carl Hester are using join-up in the starting process of their horses so that they become more connected early on with their um, training process of their horses. So um, I think people are starting to figure this out. It makes it just so much easier than that transition to saddle. But um, you heard it here first. This is the place. This is ground zero for the coming out party for, for groundwork to be good in the saddle. And that goes back to the school was started in 97 and the, um, Monty was just saw the queen in 1989. So I would say that's probably the part where the concepts were made more public and probably more aware again in 96 when the book came out. But um, uh, if you're interested, where do people go to get more information? Uh, they can visit the website. So either on montyroberts.com or join-up.org. So uh, we, we are all around. I mean, if they, if they, Google Monty Roberts, they should be able to find uh, the websites and then um, from there on go on. Or they can write an email directly to admin at join-up.org and then they will get here directly to the school office and then from there we can help. Wonderful. Okay, did we miss anything? Does everybody get to say what they wanted to say? I think so. I mean... Uh, I think that's all good. <laughs> we are we're glad that we could uh, talk to you and hopefully reach some people who uh, would love to come and uh, find out more about this uh, method to work with horses because it's incredible. Yeah, wonderful. Well, you're all incredible horse people. I got to see it with my own eyes, so I can vouch for you. You're all wonderful. And thank you for all your work. For The horses are fine. You're really good with people. So thanks for that, too. Hi, Carol Herter here, president of Cavallo, home of the world's most trusted and popular hoof boots. You know, one of the most interesting parts of what I do is the many horsey stories I get to hear. Most of them are really uplifting. Some are stories of challenges, and a few are downright sad. Recently, a wonderful woman took the time to approach us at a show to share a story about her horse who went down in quicksand. It started out as a really scary story. We were holding our breaths, waiting for the outcome, and it turned out wonderful. They winched the horse out relatively unscathed, albeit, you know, a little traumatized, and everyone standing around were super amazed that he still had his cavallo hoof boots on. Scary story with a good ending. Another testament to cavallo. If you don't have a pair for your horse, it's time. Cavallos are easy to put on, easy to take off when you want to take them off, and they stay on. They stay on in all terrain. Cavallo, the world's most trusted hoof boots. 
Natalie Wrightkirk, a California State University Fullerton graduate and former Santa Anita Park marketing intern, returned to the track with a new mission, promoting thoroughbred aftercare. As a project manager, she handles the placement program, thoroughbred classic horse shows, fundraisers, and awareness campaigns. She handles their social media and relationships with more than 20 of Karma's aftercare partners. An equestrian since she was five, Natalie has been determined to pursue a career in the equine industry and continue her family's involvement in racing. A rider on the hunter-jumper circuit, Natalie also brings outside connections for retiring thoroughbreds. Well, welcome, Natalie Reetkirk of Karma. I was so excited to have you on. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be on your show. Yeah, the first thing is, it's really fun to have somebody on the West Coast time. So we're on the same time zone here. It often doesn't There we happen. go. Yeah. So you're right there at Santa Anita Track, as I recall. Yes, I am. I am at Santa Anita Racetrack in Arcadia, California, um, very close to Pasadena. And I work at a beautiful place. I certainly couldn't ask for anything better as an equestrian to, than to be working here. Boy, that is the truth. It's beautiful. So we met up a couple of weeks ago. We have a mutual friend who's actually been on the show too, Susan. Um, Saddle Meets Horse, a blog. She's she's very talented. And she introduced us because I think you were, were you upstairs working or did you just come down for the tour of Santa Anita? Um, I work here. I'm here five on days a On a Saturday. Week. Really? Yeah. yeah. I, yep. I, I work most weekends except for the summer when the races moved down to Del Mar. But yeah, I'm here all on, on the weekends and it's wonderful. And she told me that you guys were doing the, the tour and to come up and meet you. And I was very excited to do that. So it worked out. That was fun. It was really fun to meet you. And I love the sea biscuit tour. People will have to look that up and take it if they get a chance. I, you know, mm-hmm. not all of us like to play tourism all the time, but that one is really fun. Cause you get backstage of the, the whole Santa Anita park and it's, it's fun to meet the Gosh, we saw Bob Baffert. We saw all kinds of trainers out there that day, Sean McCarthy. And um, we saw some famous owners, famous horses. We, yeah. We, yeah. And we saw some up-and-comers, too, that was, uh, you know, that's always exciting just to see a horse. Yeah. McKenzie, cool. I think, was one that they were talking oh, about. Yeah. Yep. Such great shape. and he's, you know. he's gorgeous. He's running this weekend. I can't wait to see, see? him. Fun. And that's at Santa yeah. Anita? Yeah. It's Santa Anita on Saturday. Okay. By the time this comes out, this will be coming out a little bit later, but by the time this comes out, I'm hoping we can say we predicted he's going to win something. I think he will. (laughs) My money's on him. Yeah, he looks good. Um, Well, that's an interesting question. So you grew up a little bit with a thoroughbred family. I did too. And um, I mean, I don't know if your direct parents, I know your grandparents were involved. Tell, Tell us a little bit about that. My great grandparents were involved. Uh, my grandma Gobert, um, so she would tell me a lot of stories when I was younger and I never, when I was a little kid, the, like the racing industry seemed almost kind of out of reach, like this mythical thing that you'd see on TV, but some, nothing you really ever saw. So I had never gone to the racetrack until I was, gosh, 15 and learning oh. to drive. My dad took me to the races for the first time because my, my grandmother or my great grandmother had already passed away and I never met my great grandfather who was the primary racing trainer and thoroughbred breeder. I never got to meet him. So I would hear stories and see pictures, but I really didn't get to be too involved with racing until I was older. My mom, who's not related to the horse racing side, um, 
adored Secretariat growing up. So she would Ah. always tell me about Secretariat and what he meant to her and how much she loved horse racing. And so I'd watch the Kentucky Derby every year and, you know, root for a triple crown winner and would never see one until I was older. But, um, yeah, yeah, so that was my involvement with, with racing when I was younger as it was a family, you know, something was just inherited that, that horse gene. Yeah. You got the horse gene in there from the, from Mm -hmm. the grandparents side of it. Yeah. So you grew up in Southern California, but you Mm -hmm. also, you, you became a horse lady yourself, not in the thoroughbreds, but yeah, I did. What was your discipline? Um, I, you know, I grew up doing a lot of trail rides every time for my birthday. I'd ask my mom to take me for a trail ride at this little rent string place out in Norco. And so that was a big deal to me. And then, um, I got to do horse camps when I was six. Um, and then I got my first horse when I was 12 and my mom helped me a lot with him. She rode when she was younger, but not, not a ton, just a couple lessons here and there. Um, my aunt on my mom's side, is really into horses. She's a dressage judge. So we would get pointers from her, but I was mainly just kind of turned loose on my own at 12. And my mom's like, okay, did you drop me off? Have fun with your horse. And then I'd go and I didn't have a trainer. I would just call my aunt and I'd have wow. a question. I'm like, how do I do this? And so I was just kind of adopted by a lot of the older w- women at the barn who would, you know, honey, oh. your bridle's not on right. And I'd be like, oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I kind of learned a lot by trial and error and then I got to take some dressage lessons as I got older. And um, when I was 15, I started taking a year of hunter jumper lessons. And then that was great. And then I got into, you know, I wanted a really nice horse like we all do, but I couldn't afford it. So I decided to get a young horse when I was 20. And I bought him as a yearling. And he's half oh. thoroughbred, half Dutch. Yeah, that it that was great. It's the best thing I've ever done was to get a year yearling and train him up myself. And then once I graduated college, then I put my horse in training and really got the ball rolling. And that's how I met Susan was we have the same trainer. I see. So green on green. You're fairly green. Yep. And you know what? Green. <laughs> green green on green, it worked really well. Oh, I have wow. to say a lot of the the trial and error, I took everything that I had learned about, okay, so this horse did this and I didn't like that. And why did this happen? So I would go and I would read a lot of books and I would watch videos and, you know, to try and learn like, okay, what's not going right here? I asked my aunt. And so I just, you know, learned from that didn't work. Why didn't that work? Yeah, okay. Let me try this. So are you, you have are you to on learn ground? on your feet. Yeah. I was, no, I was going to say, were you, yeah. Were you on the ground when you, when you said that didn't work? Did you put the first saddle on your horse? I did. I put the saddle on him. I got him. He it just turned a little over one. And so I would put this, the bareback pad on him and like, we'll just walk him around his halter just so he had something on his back. And I put a saddle on him when he was like two and a half. And I thought it was going to be this jumping and bronking episode and he did nothing he just spun and looked at me like okay he just he just didn't care because I'd always been you know putting stuff on his back and you know making him carry things just so he got used to something being there so when it came time for the actual saddle he just he didn't even blink he's like okay what's next he just didn't even care he's a wonderful horse I love that what's his name his name's Otto Otto and you've still got him yep I still got him he's six and a half he's wonderful he's great Wonderful, wonderful horse. That's a great story. And, and it's a very indicative story. What I love about that is that you gave him increment. It doesn't work for everybody, but it sure works for a lot of horses to be incrementally exposed Mm -hmm. and cared for. Mm -hmm. 
He yeah. loved it. I mean, just every day we would do something different. And I didn't, there's not a lot of pastures in Southern California. So okay. when I got him, I was going to the barn, gosh, two to three times a day to turn him out. And, you know, there, my, a friend of mine had a couple uh, young horses as well. So I would turn him out with other horses in the arena. And, you know, so he was always doing something and I would like have like a little list of stuff I wanted to do with him now that week. It was like, step one, walk over tarp. <laughs> it was like <laughs> this little stuff. Like, you know what? And people were like, God, you must really miss riding. And I didn't, it didn't even mm-hmm. occur to me all the fun stuff on the ground and, you know, teaching him everything. It was so much fun. I loved it. That is a great point. It's because you're confident too, and that you were not pushing too hard to compete or to do anything. um, No, that makes uh -uh. yeah. No, I I I, I don't see the rush. I just don't see the rush. They're young. They're growing, and I'm not trying to make it to the Kentucky Derby. (laughs) I have nothing. You know, just when he when he's ready, we'll show and we'll we'll move him on his way. So I had no timeline with him. I just wanted him to be happy and comfortable. And when he was ready to do more, he'd let me know and you know, we'd go along that way. It was wonderful. Good horse owner. Good example. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I'm going to play this, mm-hmm. play this for a lot of people. So, so people need to hear this. So, uh, now you, you ride at Peacock, which is down yeah. in the Orange County areas. Tell us a little bit about Peacock's story. That's a pretty amazing story. It is. Um, it's one of the best facilities I've ever had the pleasure of boarding my horse at. The trails are beautiful. You're surrounded by wilderness, which was ultimately our downfall. Um, Uh, yeah, our barn burned down in October after Canyon fire two. And, um, my house is actually fairly close to where the fire started off that freeway. So I had gone to the barn that morning before the fire started and, um, turned my horse out and I thought, gosh, it's a little windy, you know, and uh, not a whole lot to do with him. So I walked him around, put him back in the stall. And I was talking to my trainer, um, Lauren Mitchell of Lace of all sport horses, and she just happened to be dropping a couple of things off at the barn that day. She wasn't working that day. And, um, I'm like, yeah, it's a little windy. And then a friend of mine called and said, Hey, the fire's kicked back up by the freeway. And I'm like, no, that fire's been out for two weeks. What are you talking about? And she's like, no, I'm looking at it. There's open flames and there's nobody here. And it's just mm-hmm. burning outside of the freeway and there's nobody here. And I'm like, huh? So I have to call my mom and my mom's like, yeah, the fire's getting close to the house. You might want to come back. So I left the barn. I was at the barn that morning and I went home to go evacuate my house. So I got the call from Lauren saying that, Hey, you know, we're, we're, we're getting the horses out of here. Otto's on the first van out. I know you're yeah. dealing with your house. Good. So okay, your, good. your horse is taken care of. Do you want me to grab anything else? And I'm like, yes, please grab my saddle. Everything else can go. <laughs> just please grab my saddle. I just bought it. Oh. So, um, so I am watching the news thinking, okay, the horse is gone. He's safe. No problem. And I did not think it was going to get to the stables because it was so far from my house to the stables. I'm like, that's a long jump. And there's a lot of stuff in between. But what I didn't think is that it would, it would snake along the toll road and get the backside of the barn. So I'm watching TV for updates on, you know, do I need to evacuate like evacuate my home and it goes, Oh, we're changing over to a view of Irvine regional park. And I look and it's the barn. It's just yeah. up in flames or smoke and the barn just burned down. And I was stunned how yeah. fast it got over there. And yeah. thank goodness my trainer w- happened to be there and was on it. And she had already had an evacuation plan from that fire that occurred two weeks ago. So she yeah. already had a place to go, a barn set up, 
people who knew that we were, were coming. She had friends on speed dial to get their trailers there and get the horses out. I mean, Lauren, I truly think saved lives that day with mm-hmm. how fast that fire moved. And she was the only trainer there. And I don't know if anyone would, would dispute that. I was there when I left there. She was the only trainer on that property. And mm-hmm. she called people to say, Hey, you need to come back and get your horses out of here. Yeah. So yeah. It, it was incredible, scary, but, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's just things that were lost. We didn't lose any lives. Like what happened yeah. at San, San Luis Ray, which would right. turn and affect my job, but my personal life, I didn't lose. I lost a couple of blankets and a lot of friends lost pack, but our horses are all safe. And that's what really matters. That's right. Oh, a lot of lessons in there, really. Um, planning, obviously, and not everybody does it. Um, and so that was, that was good. And whether it took the first fire to really it, it doesn't seem like there's much out there to burn. It's just unbelievable when that wall of flame comes along and it just imagines that uh, even scrubby little fields that look like more dirt than field of grass oh, yeah. just goes, It's and it's it runs at 1,000 to 2,000 degrees. It's amazingly hot and it's horrible. So everybody got a plan. Of the barn. Yeah, just the wreckage of the barn. I mean, we were in a metal pipe stall and it looked the closest thing I could truly compare it to that I've ever seen in my life was photos of 9-11 of the Twin Towers that bent metal. It's like, how do you bend metal like that? And I'm like, Mm -hmm. it looks like a plane flew through this. Like that's how just hot and warped all the metal got. It it was insane. I've never seen anything like it. And I hope I don't again. (laughs) Yeah, I Hope you don't either. Well, I'm glad Otto got out and you got out and everybody, everybody was safe. It was really Mm -hmm. quick thinking and great of your trainer. And I have a girlfriend who had just moved in two days or three days. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You do. You do. Susan Tobiasen had just moved there and decorated all her, you know, and she just lost the saddle. But she she got the call from Lauren, too, that said, come get the horses. And friends went in there. Everybody pulls together in the horse industry. And I love that. If you can, with a good plan and and lots of time. Well, that's great. I, I I love what your background brings to your work now. And I'd love to shift yeah. to that and talk a little yeah. bit about how you've been able to make your love of horses into a, a job that I think fits perfectly with you. It really does. I mean, I could not have custom made a job that fit me any better. I mean, I couldn't, I'd ever dreamed of having a job like this. And it was kind of crazy how everything fell uh, into place. When I was graduating from Cal State Fullerton, they make you take an internship. And my mom and I were looking online and she goes, Hey, look, Santa Anita is having uh, internships. And I was like, wow, Santa Anita. Okay. So I wrote my little letter of, and I mentioned my grandparents and how the scene in Seabiscuit when he's racing war admiral and how everybody's on the infield is running after him, how that just always brings tears to my eyes to see people celebrating a horse like that. Just that meant so much to me. And, um, so they uh, brought me on as an intern and I worked in marketing and, um, I just was obsessed with wanting to know about the racing industry because my grandparents were involved in it, but it's so, it's so very different then the equestrian like recreational side of it it's just it's very different but there's a lot of similarities but it just seems like this mythical thing to me so um i was saying how i was talking to my marketing boss at that time and i'm like yeah you know i just really love these horses and we're talking about how just how much i love the horses and off track thoroughbreds and making people care about the horse and not not so much the 
the wagering aspect. And I'm like, no, these are animals and they're incredible. And you have to like, look at what amazing animals these are. And she's like, I should really introduce you to um, Candace Chu, who's on the board of Karma. And she's also the graphics director for Santa Anita. So she introduces me to her and she and I are talking. And the very first question uh, my boss, Candy, asked me was, do you have an off-track thoroughbred? And I had to look at her and say, no. And I felt so bad. I'm like, she's like, she's like, let me guess, you have a warm blood. And I'm like, he's half blood. <laughs> and I felt, I felt about this big when she asked me that question because I'm part of the problem. And I'm like, yeah, uh, uh huh. And so I got to meet her. She forgave me for that. <laughs> and um, she started, uh, her husband's a racehorse trainer. And she's like, if you know, you want to go, go learn, go work for my husband for a week. You can go hot walk horses and see what it's like back there. And you can go to the track and he'll tell you everything you want to know. And so I, I, I did, I woke up at four in the morning, got here at like five 30 and was hot walking horses, like race horses. And he showed me how to loop the stud chains and how it was different. And it was amazing and just really incredible. So I kept doing as much stuff for, um, for karma as I could while I was still as an intern in the marketing department. So, um, then I, when my, when my internship came to a close, they we're like, you know, we really can't bring you on again. Like, like we, like, we like, like, you know, we, we love you. You're outstanding, but you know, we can't give you the raise that you need to be able to make this drive worth your while. And I'm like, I understand. So I, um, I started working at another public relations agency in Tustin, California, and, um, they did a lot of work with nonprofits. So I got to learn how to operate a nonprofit and how, what their angles are and how you market them and how they work, you know, and that was something I had never really seen before was the nonprofit management side of it. So I worked at that job for like two years and I just wasn't in love with it. It just wasn't something like like the racetrack kind of always called me back again. I'm like, I just, I really want to make a difference in horse racing. That's really what I want to do. And so Candy called me on my last days, I'd given my notice and I was going to go work for my trainer, Lauren, as a exercise mm-hmm. rider and, you know, groom and help, help her out and give lessons. Uh, Candy called me and she's like, you know, we're, we're having a job open up at, at Karma. Would you be interested in that? And I almost fell out of my chair and I'm like, yeah, oh my gosh, you know, please like, let me know. And so she called me about three months later. And in that time I had been working with Lauren and um, she's like, yeah, we know we'd love to come have you come in for an interview. And I did, and I got the job, and it's just been incredible to be able to help off-track thoroughbreds. And just the way, you know, things work out the way that they're supposed to, you know. So I got the experience at my other job, which made me more qualified for Mm -hmm. for this one. So it, it all worked out great. Yeah, it, well, sure, it did. Good for them, too. But let's talk a little bit about what you do for them. So we've got the idea that it's a nonprofit. Obviously, you're rehabbing, retraining, retiring um, California raced thoroughbreds for the most part. Mm-hmm. My, my own yeah. spot yeah, right there. Yeah, Cal- yep, yep. So yeah, you're right. California Retirement Management Account. That's karma. Yeah. So what, do you, what do you do? How do you specifically talk about the thoroughbred classic? I know you've got some events that you do and... And yeah. how do you help? How do you help? Besides your, um, your experience. Yeah. Yeah. So karma is a 501 C three nonprofit, which was created to raise money for the retirement of California resources. And it was founded in 2007. Um, and we host a lot of fundraising events, um, educational 
stuff for owners and trainers, and we just raise awareness to the general public about retired racehorses and things that they need and all that. And um, they they run the several of uh, this event that they run. It's called the Thoroughbred Classic Horse Show, and that was launched in 2013. And it's designed to showcase the versatility and athleticism of retired racehorses. So the ultimate goal of the show is to showcase exactly what off-track thoroughbreds can, can be because they get a stigma in the equestrian community that they're not as good as warm bloods and right. they've got a crazy temperament and that's just not true. And so our thought was if we can show people what these horses can do, more people will want to adopt them. So more racehorses will have homes and they'll they, to increase the demand for these horses. So it's not, they don't just go, they don't get so easily discarded and they have a second career because they're, they're incredible. I mean, if I had known if I didn't listen to the stigma of off-track thoroughbreds, I would have owned them my entire life. Mm-hmm. And I didn't because the stigma was so bad. So the show that we're having is March 24th and 25th in Temecula, California at Galway Downs. And we're having cross country, hunter jumpers, dressage, barrel racing, um, Western dressage. And wow, we have in hand, like, like showmanship classes and, lead line. I mean, we offer just about anything you can think of a thoroughbred can do it. So thus we offer it. And, um, it's wonderful. The community that comes to these shows is super supportive. We have over $5,000 in prize money for the winners of our hunter derby jumper stakes and our, um, dressage challenge and cross country challenge. Um, so we have a lot of prize money for these horses and their owners because, you know, they deserve it and they're, you know, these people are the ones giving them homes and we want to reward them for, you know, helping us, uh, you know, long-term place these horses. But, um, Karma, so the only, I think one of the, go, the only go, stigma go ahead, is they have to be, um, a registered thoroughbred or what, what are the requirements? You know, honestly, we, cause there's a lot of times these thoroughbreds don't get tattooed and they get kind of lost in the shuffle if they didn't make it to the track. Right. So if the person entering the show can tell us, you know, this is my horse's sire. This is the dam. This is where I got it from. Um, and, you know, obviously it looks like a thoroughbred. Thoroughbreds are pretty distinctive. That's the most that we ask. But ideally, we, we, we do want the tattoo. We do want the jockey club name so we, you know, can see who these horses are. But a lot of times, you know, the horses that didn't make it to the track and just get passed around, they don't have that information on them. And we don't want to exclude anybody. Right. If they feel Good they have you. a thoroughbred and it lo- looks like them they can tell us a little bit about it to prove it, we'll let them go ahead and, and do it. But um, nice. it's a wonderful show and attendance has been going up every year. Uh, we had a little over a hundred at our last Galway show. No, I'm sorry. We had 120. Wow. And then our, our, our December show got uh, affected pretty heavily by all the devastating wildfires. But, oh, yeah. uh, you know, pe- pe- people still came out and we turned it into a great charity event and we raised money and awareness for the fires that were going on everywhere that was affecting the equestrian community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good for you. So how many thoroughbreds do you think Karma started in 2007? I think you said, is that right? Yeah, how, many, how many, uh-huh. and how many horses have been able to transition from the racetrack into whatever, all these different d- disciplines that are great. Well, what we'd have done is we've created the Karma placement program. Okay. So the exact number of horses directly affected with the placement program is right now 165. Okay. Um, That's great. But we fund 20 plus 
nonprofits that almost exclusively retire and rehome thoroughbreds. So mm. if we, I think the number we last saw was over, oh goodness, I think it was a little over 5,000 if we did the math of horses that we have essentially mm. paid for due to our granting process to the other organizations. But the yeah. ones that I can speak about directly is the placement program. And that is a very, very unique program. There's really not anything else like it in the United States right now where we're on site. I'll get a call from a trainer. I'll say, you know, I have this horse retiring. He has a bow tendon. He just did it yesterday. Um, he's got to retire and I don't know what to do. So yeah. I'll go back there and look at the horse and we'll take him into the program as long as the owners participate in the purse deduction program, uh, which takes like one tenth of 1% out oh, of, okay. oh, I'm sorry, three tenths of 1% out of the every earnings that horse makes when he enters a race. So the owners are contributing that towards the retirement of that horse or of any horse really. So they're essentially paying for the horse's long-term well, or, you know, wellness along the way. And they might not even know it, honestly. Mm. And, um, so we'll take the horse in like, and we'll give him the rehab that he needs. So for a bow tendon, we're looking at, you know, as little as four months, if it's not that bad, as bad as 10 to 12, if it is. Mm -hmm. So we, we will take that horse in. We have five layup facilities that we use and we care for that horse. If he needs vet care, we'll, we just, we take great care of them. And then we get to know them really well along that way. And we, we see them through the transition of being a racehorse. We'll give them a little bit of training into, okay, now you're a pet. Let's settle this down. This is, you know, what you're going to do. And we show them, you know, how to be a pet rather than a performance horse. Mm -hmm. So um, then do we you, place them with one you, of the aftercare partners. Yeah. Are, uh, the, are they, a lot of them are stallions? Do you? Do you castrate? We do not take geld or we do not take horses that are intact. So in order for the horse to be in, in the program, the owner has to geld it because gotcha. we don't want any, you know, it, it's hard to board horses like, like yeah. that. And a lot of facilities don't allow them. So we're like, right. we'll take the horse, but you need to geld it. And the track veterinarians are so on our side and they give the owners a discount. A lot of times it's like, okay, I'm gelding the horse and giving it to karma. They'll give them a discount nice. just to, you know, just to take care of the horse and get them all on their way. Good. That's great. Gosh, Natalie, what yeah. a great program. I don't think enough people know about this and I think we need to get the word out for you. I don't think so either, you know? Yeah. 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 I don't think so either. I mean, it's really, when, when the idea came out, we, we they used it. I, I wasn't here when they first started the program, but you know, it was just to, you know, see how, how, how this goes. What does this look like? No one's done this before. So we kind of have to figure this out as we go. And the program has changed so much since it started. I mean, in the beginning, they were only taking a maximum of five horses. And my program today, I have 23, 26, if I include a couple horses from the um, San Luis Ray Downfire, if we have mm -hmm. a couple in right now. And, um, you know, it, it, it's grown. And we've got so many horses in there. You know, we've got some in Central California. The majority are in Southern California. But it's amazing. This, the, the, these horses are, they're not what people think a racehorse is like we'll deal with them coming fresh off the track and they are so a lot of them are so calm and you wouldn't know that this was a racehorse you just you wouldn't know there are some that are true to the stereotype but not many vast majority are 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 not they're coming fresh off the track and they're calm and you take them out of that environment and they, they just look at you like well what are we doing today and they're fine 
They're yeah. they're remarkable animals. Yeah. They really, well, they're really are. Super intelligent. I grew up with the thoroughbreds, and I just I agree with you. I think people do have a bit of a, a preconceived notion of the way they should mm-hmm. be or are or whatever. And we get people who ask us, "Do you think really we should do a join up with a thoroughbred? Because won't that like take off their edge and and make them not want to run as much?" Which to me is no. Just letting them calm down and do what they do. Their body is athletic. It it takes over and they love to run. They don't need to be hyped up. And if they are hyped up oh. often, it's, it, it can be even a nutrition thing. You know, it's a, yeah, a, lot, a lot of it is, is right. Yeah. yeah. So I love what you're doing. I, I want to hear more about it. I'd love to have you back sometime too, to yeah, uh, talk absolutely. about your classics and some of the fundraising that you're doing to help these horses, because that's, what's going to have it succeed is that people are able to do it as well. So I love that you're figuring out a program that is, has the money behind it and has the ability to think it all the way through. You're brilliant. Yeah. Thanks, Natalie. Thank you. Whisper the language of the herd. Listen, you don't have to say a word. It's time for Jamie Jennings to fetch an email from Monty Roberts' inbox and share a morsel of Monty's wisdom in a little segment we like to call Ask Monty. Leave this world a better place than mine. Dear Monty, how do you respond to being called controversial? Monty's answer. Probably most often the first thing I do is smile. The reason for the smile is that I consider myself utterly non-controversial. It seems to me that if the practitioner of a particular discipline brings findings to the table and these findings are new, then they can be argued by two distinctly different means. One is academic and the other is practical. It seems very difficult to me to classify as controversial something that the founder has been actually demonstrating for decades. I don't ask people to accept my concepts because I explain them in a certain way, nor do I request acceptance without extensive trial. I have now been demonstrating my findings to the public for more than 25 years. I suppose I could have asked the public to accept my principles over those 25 plus years with just five or 10 horses as examples. The fact is, however, I have offered in open public forum demonstrations of my work with more than 10,000 horses in over 24 countries. Those horses have embraced virtually every breed on earth and covered disciplines in the hundreds. If you study history in general, it becomes clear that when new ideas emerge, virtually all are considered controversial by many until reasonably proven. The status quo is nearly an immovable object and, in fact, as an academic, I am totally in favor of that. New ideas should have to jump through all reasonable hoops, lest we follow bad ideas down counterproductive paths. There are plenty of examples of the public having accepted unproven concepts only to be negatively effective. It seems wrong, however, that if we test a new idea and find it effective over a substantial period of time, still to classify it as controversial. Added to this mix is the fact that I am challenging an 8,000-year-old discipline that has changed very little in all that time. I am suggesting that many traditional ways of training horses were far less optimal and, in fact, frankly, brutal. I'm not suggesting all traditional horsemanship was extremely violent, but most of it was. I never say that I blame those forerunners and their work. I often state one must understand that it is the only way that they knew. I consider my task in life not to be judgmental, but to offer an alternative to what has gone before me. 
No one on the face of the earth can truthfully say that I have tried to force him or her to work with their horses by my methods. That would go against the very core of my principles. I openly demonstrate my work that has irrefutably proven positive results. For more of these insights into good horsemanship, go to www.montyroberts.com and click on the orange banner that says, Get Free Horse Tips. Hi, I'm Monty Roberts, and I'm dedicated to training horses without pain. You can learn to do it too on my Equus Online University. Western, English, the beginner, or the advanced rider, it doesn't matter. You can connect with other students online too on our forum, and there's a new lesson every week. It's a lifetime of learning for you on my Equus Online University at MontyRoberts.com. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Where in the world is Monty Roberts? Monty is looking forward to some new friends, two-legged and four-legged. On May 23 and 24, 2018, we talked about the movement. It's a symposium and festival with certified instructors meeting up in California at Flag is Up Farms. Woo-hoo. And then, May, and then yeah, it's fun. May 25 to 27, we have our Horse Sense and Healing program carrying on into that weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then July 23 through 3rd of August, we have the Gentling Wild Horses course at Flag is Up Farms. And then August 6 through 10, we have Monty's special training again at Flag is Up Farms in California. It's it's all I think this may be the longest period of time where Monty's been at the farm. I know. In in a, in quite some time. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for noticing. I've been so trying. <laughs> well, there he is. So there's lots of things to choose from. If you couldn't put all of that in your memory banks while listening to this podcast, you can visit montyroberts.com where you'll find this information and so much more, or you can call Monty's Farm. That's flag is up farm at 805-688-6288. And for details about today's show, go to horsemanshipradio.com. Look for episode number 111. And there you're going to find links, photos, and more information about today's guests and topics. And we love your feedback. Speaking of guests and topics, it helps us get creative ideas when you put post on the Facebook page. You can follow Monty Roberts on Facebook by typing in Monty Roberts and click on the one with the little blue check mark. That's the real deal. And you can also follow Monty on Twitter. His handle is Monty underscore Roberts. And get the app for your phone, your iPhone or your Android. That way you'll never miss any episodes. Go to your app store and download it today. It's free and easy to use. Or you can subscribe via iTunes or your favorite pod catcher. That's right. And many thanks to our sponsors, too, who make all that possible. That is Omega Fields and Cavallo Horse and Rider and MontyRobertsUniversity.com. Be sure to visit all the other great shows, too, on the Horse Radio Network at www.horseradionetwork.com. Until next time, have many happy horse hours.